My name is Keith Gove, and I am one of the pastors here at Richfield Community Church, and I get the honor of closing out this section of 1 Corinthians before we take a break for our summer series. So next week, we'll be starting back in the summer, we'll be starting the summer series, and then in the fall, we'll be back in 1 Corinthians starting in chapter 8. So before we begin, if it's okay, I have some, some nonsense to, do, uh, to deal with, right? So welcome everybody online. Welcome, welcome to me. We have, we have to start with nonsense. So um, last time that I was up here, uh, we were in chapter two and we were talking about the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man, right? And I, I shared there's, you know, one guy that came to my mind anyway for the wisdom of man, Confucius, you know, he's a wise guy about 2,500 years ago. And I shared one of his statements that we still hear today, you know, if do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life, right? And we're like, oh yeah, I hear that all the time. But 2,500 years ago, when you heard that, I, I just hypothesize, you know, that there were fewer options available to you for what you might do and choose for work. So, you know, you, you've got uh, a farmer, right? 2,500 years ago in China, you could be a farmer, you could be a, a yak milker, or you could you know, make bricks. So um, the yak milker bit kind of took on a life of its own. So um, I got called yak milker several times, and... Uh, Hannah Nelson, bless her heart, made this shirt for me that has a silhouette of a yak. I don't know if you can see it on TV. Um, it says yak milker. And then in parentheses, in small print underneath, it says, never worked a day in my life. <laughs> so thank you, Hannah. I will wear it with pride and enjoy all the puzzled looks from the people who are like, what on earth is he wearing? <laughs> and I get to tell them this story, so it's a win-win. So this morning, we're talking about, uh, we're still in this, in this area of, of chapter 7 in 1 Corinthians where Paul's talking about relationships. And he wants all the Corinthians to live this life of undivided devotion to Christ. Now, he's going to deal with one very, very specific segment of the population, and that is engaged folks. So we're going to deal with that, but then we're also going to broaden it because Paul broadens it. I want you all to live this undivided devotion to Christ. So you remember last week, Paul, not Paul, Todd, <laughs> sorry, it became a, a blend of the two, became tall. <laughs> Todd gave us this outline of the whole book that we've been through so far, starting with 1, 1 to 9, where he gives the foundation. You Corinthians, you have had this life-altering experience with Jesus, and it should change everything about the way you see and interact with the world. But then he goes on to say, but it's not. And here are the examples of the ways that I'm, I'm looking at you and I'm seeing that it's not changing the way you see and interact with the world. The division among you, the arrogance. Oh, Hannah, I lost it. Um, there we go. You're arrogant. You're, you're, there is sexual immorality among you that doesn't even exist among the pagans around you. You're, you're not able to resolve even the simplest conflicts amongst yourselves. You're 
You still think that going to these temple prostitutes for these other gods is okay, and you can love Christ and serve Christ. And then lastly, the, the chapter we've been in right now, you're, you have a lousy view of marriage and of singleness, and that's the, where he's going to close chapter 7 today, and that's where we're going to be. So Paul continues to call these Corinthians to an undivided devotion to Christ. And because our most defining relationships have the power either to deepen our devotion to Christ or distract us from it, he calls the Corinthians and us to do some very careful and kingdom-minded thinking about our relationships. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to dive in the text and, uh, and take a look. So Lord, would you speak to us this morning through your word? Would you reveal yourself to us through your word, by your spirit, Lord, for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. So a big chunk of text, and we're going to read it through quickly, but he starts with concerning the betrothed. So concerning these engaged folks. And at the beginning of chapter 7, you remember he said, now concerning the things you wrote me about, this is the second in those three things he's going to reference of what they wrote him about. So the first one, you remember, was in the context of marriage, they wrote him saying, uh, now even, even married people should, should not uh, have intimate physical relationships with each other, right? And Paul says, no, 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 no. And then this one, the betrothed should, should not get married, right? And Paul agrees, but he disagrees in their reasoning. So here we go. Now to the betrothed. Concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give you my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. And from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, about how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and to secure undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well. 
and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as she lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think I too have the Spirit of God. So, no, no issues to deal with this in this text, right? We can just move right along. Let's bring the band back up. <laughs> All kinds of issues and, and not a lot of time to get to them. So we're going to start with how he qualifies his advice to these betrothed people, to these engaged people. In view of the present distress, that's how he says it. In view of the present distress, um, concerning the, the present, in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Now, I think when he says in view of the present distress, I think he has a very present trouble in mind. And if we read back in Acts, as Luke is recording all the places that, that Paul goes on his journey. In Acts 17, Paul's in Thessalonica, and he's preaching about Jesus, and the Jews get so angry that there's a mob that forms. They, they storm the house where Paul is staying. Paul doesn't happen to be there, so they take the owner of the house, they drag him into court, and he has to pay money for the upheaval that Paul has caused in Thessalonica. And then in Corinth, he goes from Thessalonica to Athens to Corinth. Then in Corinth, Paul gets taken to court, and the Jews again are, are angry. They're, they want him in jail. They want him in trouble, and uh, the judge throws it out. He says, you guys are arguing about religious stuff. I don't care. Get out of here. But everywhere he goes, there's trouble. In Ephesus, uh, remember from Corinth, he goes to Ephesus, and then he's writing back to Corinth. This letter we're reading, he's writing back. He's writing from Ephesus. So in Ephesus, when he's there, a guy named Demetrius, who's a silversmith, he makes little idols so that people can worship the goddess Artemis. So he says, he gets all the other kind of craftsmen together. He says, Paul is going to be the death of us. He is going to ruin our livelihoods. We need to get rid of him. So he starts, he and these craftsmen start a riot to get Paul and his traveling companions out of Ephesus. Everywhere that Paul goes, there is a very present distress. There's an upheaval. There's a riot. There's a mob. There are people who do not like this preaching of Jesus. So when Paul is talking to the Corinthians and he says, in view of the present distress, I think this is the distress, at least part of the distress he has in mind. I think he has another thing in mind, which is the coming distress. Paul knows from Jesus that it's going to get bad before Jesus comes back. It's bad already for Paul. In every city he goes, there's upheaval, there's rioting, there's trouble. He knows it's going to get worse than that. He doesn't know when exactly, but he knows it's going to get worse. So three different ways, he says, in view of the present distress. Uh, in verse 29, he says, the time is short. And then in 31, the present form of the world is passing away. So he knows as bad as it is now, it's going to get worse. And in light of that, I want you to be very careful and be very 
kingdom-minded about your decisions for relationships. And his opinion, his advice, his judgment is remain as you are. So he's writing this in 52, 53 AD. In 64, Nero becomes the emperor of Rome. And Nero's persecution of Christians is is infamous, right? He's the one who dips Christians in tar and lights them on fire so that they are kind of the candles to light his garden at night. The persecution of Christians is going to get way worse in the coming years. Um, And Paul, I don't know that he knows exactly how that's going to look, but he knows it's going to get worse. And so his advice to these Corinthians is, in light of the present distress, what's coming, I would spare you that worldly trouble, and I would recommend you remain as you are. In view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. So Paul, to these Corinthians, to a very specific uh, audience and moment in history, he says, are you free from a wife? which is just funny to me. It just sounds uh, like a funny expression that I will not use at home, just so you know. Uh, Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. He could have just said, are you married? Are you single? Don't get married. But, you know, he chose a different way that I... I, uh, No. (laughs) So he spends the whole time talking about the advantages of singleness. Unashamedly, Bless you. The advantages of singleness. So we're going to walk through all the different advantages. We're going to talk a little about, he he mentions one kind of anxiety, and then we'll talk about marriage. So the advantages, fewer worldly troubles. He says, in this world, uh, if you marry, uh, so if you have married, you, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and that troubles is suffering. You will have worldly suffering. What is about to come uh, is going to be bad enough for you. But if you have to watch that suffering for your wife, for your children, or whatever, it will be worse. So he said, I would spare you that. The appointed time has grown very short. This is going to be rough. So for those single folks, you still will have worldly troubles, but they will be fewer than than those married folks. Then the second piece, greater freedom to pursue the things of the Lord, fewer anxieties. I put those both together because they're kind of two halves of the same coin. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. So Paul is, is imagining like himself, a single man, if Paul decides he wants to go couch surfing around the Mediterranean, he can just go. He can go and say, hey, here's, I'm off to Macedonia. I'm off to Spain. He can just decide it and go. If that's where God's calling him, he goes. I am married. I have a wife. I have three little ones. Uh, not so little ones. Three kids. Um, I am responsible for those for humans, not just me. So there is a, there is a caution, there's a, 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 a level of complexity and responsibility that a single person would not have. And so they have greater ability to do whatever, you know, God would direct them to do. So fewer for the single folks, more for the married folks. 
And then lastly, he says, in my judgment, you'll be happier to remain as you are. So as he's talking about uh, both, the, both groups of people, the, the engaged, and as he's concluding the passage, talking specifically to widows. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well. You're good. This is not a sin to get married. He who refrains from marriage does even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. Only in the Lord, only believers, to be equally yoked is his recommendation. Um, Yet, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think I, too, have the Spirit of God. I think as these people were wrote as these people wrote this letter from Corinth to Paul, and they said, you know, hey, here's what we're thinking about marriage, and here's what we're thinking about engaged couples, and they write these things. I'm imagining the other side of the phone conversation, right, the other side of the letter that we don't have, uh, that they said, and we feel like God's spirit has led us to these decisions. So Paul, in his response, is saying, here's my recommendation for you all. Oh, and by the way, I think I have God's spirit too, (laughs) So here's what I recommend. And he talks through all the advantages of singleness, fewer worldly troubles, uh, greater freedom to pursue where God calls you, fewer anxiety, fewer ties to um, the worldly stuff. And in my opinion, you'll be happier. Again, looking ahead to what is coming. Here's what Paul does not say about singleness. He does not say that it guarantees an increased focus on God. That's up to to the individual. It does not, there is no uh, inherent holiness or inherent closeness with God that comes just from being single. We have to do that. We have to work at that. Whether we're married, whether we're single, that's on us. We pursue, we draw near. It is not more pleasing to God in itself. Paul is recommending it for their current situation, but it is not. There are other branches of Christianity which might say it is holier in itself or it is good in itself. That is not what Paul says. Um, But he does say um, it frees you from some of the anxieties of this world. He does not say it frees you from all anxieties. Single folks have anxieties and troubles too, not just married people. Um, We all have our share of those anxieties. So one anxiety for singleness that that he does mention in the text is if your passions are strong, if your desire for marriage, your desire for that married relationship is strong and and it needs to be, you need to get married, get married. You have done nothing wrong. There is no, um, when I was uh, uh, doing premarital counseling for Trisha and I, when we were doing premarital counseling with Dennis Griggs, um, we go to Dennis and we're talking and uh, I said to Dennis, Dennis, it seems that 1 Corinthians 7 says, you know, we ought to stay single. What, you know, is, is that, am I, are, are we doing the wrong thing here by getting married? And Dennis, I love Dennis because he just cuts through all the, all, the, all the fat, you know? And he says, Keith, do you want to get married? I said, uh-huh. <laughs> he said, do you want to be single? I said, no, not even a little bit. He said, then get married. This is a good thing. 
But Paul is giving this advice. He is saying, for this season, it will be better for you to be single, to remain as I am, because there is a distress and a trouble that is coming that I would spare you and spare you having a, a family to deal with. So, but the anxiety of, of, of singleness, the one that he mentions is this passion and intimacy, passion for intimacy, passion for a, uh, a marriage relationship. There are other ones I imagine that I would experience if I were single is, is just pride. You know, I've got all this time to spend on Jesus, to spend at the church, and you guys, all you married people, you're, you're at the PTA meetings, you're at the Boy Scouts, you're at Little League. I'm doing the Lord's work. You guys are out there, you know, playing baseball and doing whatever, and I'm the only one working. I would imagine that would be a struggle for me. That would be an anxiety for me if I were single. But Paul doesn't, doesn't address that one. Um, he also doesn't address just the other kind of mental, emotional, social anxieties. He just says, right now, in view of the present distress, here is my recommendation for you, and that is to remain as you are. Now, the anxieties of marriage are the exact opposite of the advantages of singleness. So I'm not going to spend too much time here. But the increased trouble, um, the need to please their spouse, we have you know, I have a wife, I have three kids, they, I am responsible for these humans. And so the anxieties of marriage are that I need to, to address their needs and I need to address uh, my responsibility to care for them. There is a potential, at least, for worldly distractions. You know, I'm, I'm running here, I'm running there, I'm doing other things. We're going to talk about what that undivided life looks like when we're married, when we're single, but at least it's a potential for distraction. So the advantage of marriage, he talks none about the advantages of marriage in this passage. Now he does in other places in Ephesians 5. I, we're not going to go there, but I don't want you to feel like this is a unilateral, everybody everywhere needs to say single. I think this is directed to a specific audience at a specific time. And we can go to places like Genesis 2, Ecclesiastes, where Solomon talks about two are better than one because, you know, you can help each other. You've got a teammate. And also in Ephesians 5, when he writes the letter um, to the church in Ephesus and talks about this glorious mystery that marriage is where we get to give a living picture of the gospel to the people around us. This is a good thing, a great thing, a glorious thing. So I don't want you to feel like Paul has this low view of marriage, like, well, if you can't control yourself, I guess it's all right, like it's secondary in some, in some way. Paul has a, a very high view of marriage, but for the situation, has specific recommendations for Corinth. So is this a law for singleness? No. He, he says three different ways in the text. I have no command from the Lord. I give you my judgment. If you marry, you have not sinned. And I say this for your own benefit, not to trap you, not to restrain you, not to confine you. You are free. Paul's desire ultimately for the Corinthians is this, undivided devotion to Christ. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. 
So are you married? Stay married. Are you single? Stay single. Are you engaged? If your passions are too strong and you need to get married, get married. If you don't, stay single. If you are widowed, you are free to choose. But for all of you, an undivided devotion to Christ. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. I talked with my life group this past week about that, uh, this verse, and uh, someone suggested they were going to put that on the fridge <laughs> and say, honey, I'm going golfing. Bible says I'm supposed to live like I don't have a wife. <laughs> That's not what Paul is encouraging. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to explain. Uh, so, those who mourn as though they were not mourning, those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, those who buy as though they had no goods, those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. The beginning of the letter, 1, 1 to 9, he says, you have had this life-altering experience with Jesus, and it's supposed to change the way you experience all of life, the way you look at all of life. And this description he just gave is the description of what he thinks that ought to look like. So we have a radical new relationship with the world through Christ. And it changes the way we react to circumstances, rejoicing and mourning. We rejoice. We genuinely rejoice. We mourn. We genuinely mourn. But when we mourn, knowing our circumstances with Christ we don't mourn like those who have no hope. We mourn when people from the outside, from the world, look at our mourning. They say, well, gosh, that doesn't seem like, that doesn't look like mourning. If you were at our memorial for Ann Carroll, we got to celebrate Ann's life. That doesn't look like, that doesn't look like mourning. That looks like they're celebrating. And when we rejoice... You know, the world may rejoice in, you know, a, a new job, a new car, a new chariot, whatever the Corinthians would rejoice in. We, we rejoice, we genuinely rejoice, but our scale is so much different than theirs. We know the almighty God, the creator of everything, a, a new boat, a new whatever is, is cool, but we have a whole new scale for what is awesome. And, and the boat or the chariot or the horse, I mean, that's the way down here on the scale. But for the world, they look and say, why aren't you rejoicing? We have a whole new mindset in Christ for the way we react to circumstances, the way we rejoice, the way we mourn, the way we interact with stuff. When we don't have Christ, stuff is everything. The car, the house, the boat, it's, it's, it's all we got. When we understand our circumstances in Christ and what we have in Christ, that stuff is good, but it's not the end-all, be-all like it might be otherwise. And the way we see relationships, that's where he's been in chapter 7. The way we see relationships is completely changed. Paul wants us to look at relationships in an entirely new way. So whether we're single, whether we're married, we can live undivided, right? Certainly there are is a way you could live the single life in a divided way, right? So my wife um, got a summons for jury duty last week, which is funny 
because it's for her and not for me. <laughs> if it were for me, it would be less funny. Um, so do you guys know like just the, um, the universal sound that comes out of your mouth when you get the jury summons in the mailbox? You guys all know that sound? Uh, uh. That's the universal sound for I just got summoned to jury duty. Um, the divided way of seeing that jury duty summons is I'm going to hate this. I'm going to hate it the whole time. I'm going to read my book. I'm going to have my earphones in so I don't have to listen to anybody. I don't have to talk to anybody. I don't want to be there. I'm going to leave as soon as I can. I'm not going to meet anyone, talk to anybody, or do anything except sit in that chair and wait for them to send me home. There is another way to experience that. We have an opportunity. We have Christ. We have, I'm going to get to meet a bunch of people who don't know how Christ has changed my life. Now, I'm not the uber extrovert who converts people on the plane from here to Sacramento. That's not me. But I can, I can pray, Lord, give me eyes to see opportunities in jury duty. I can pray, Lord, give me boldness <laughs> when you give me the eyes to see what I can do. Give me the boldness to do something about it. And I can enter into that experience in a completely different way where Jesus is in charge. Jesus is filling it and permeating it, and it's undivided. It's not divided. When I think divided, I think uh, 4th of July barbecue, right? You got your plate and it has all those little partitions in it, right? So that your corn on the cob doesn't roll into your beans, which doesn't like spill into the coleslaw and doesn't get into the jello parfait thing, right? <laughs> you don't want all those things mixing. That, we don't want, we want separate flavors, right? I think Paul has in mind for us uh, a very different image for this undivided life, like an ice cream bowl, which does not sound appetizing to mix all those foods together. But the metaphors for our life now, <laughs> our, our family life, our work life, our leisure life, our, our life with Jesus, it's all mixed. Our Jesus life affects everything, every single part of our life. It overlaps, it overflows, it spills into it. There's no separation. So, I, I, like I said, I have three kids and they're all involved in stuff, right? They have cheer, they have baseball, they have basketball, they have all kinds of stuff. And as a parent, I end up sitting, you know, at baseball, at cheer, at gymnastics, at whatever. I find myself in random gymnasiums just sitting, I could experience that. I could live that as a divided life. This is my gymnastics life. <laughs> this is my dad life. This is my whatever. We can experience those same things in an undivided, unified way where we say, Lord, I got three hours next to these little league parents who don't know you, who don't know how you've changed my life. Give me eyes to see the opportunities you're going to present me with at this little league game. Give me boldness to speak up when those opportunities come up. I'm an ambassador of you, Lord, wherever I am, wherever you put me. 
And so give me the right perspective, the perspective Paul wanted the Corinthians to have, where everywhere I go, my life is an undivided devotion to you. Last thing, this week, I want us to consider those three areas, how we relate to circumstances. Do our circumstances with Jesus color all of our other circumstances? Does our stuff, the way we view our stuff, does the stuff Jesus says is important affect how we view all of our stuff? Our circumstances, our stuff, our relationships. Does Jesus fill my relationships? Not that I can't have you know, rest, not that I can't have areas where I am, I have a different approach or a different in, uh, style of engaging people. Still, I'm an ambassador of Christ, but we have all kinds of freedom in how that gets expressed. But is it getting expressed? Is it flowing out in my circumstances, in my stuff? in my relationships. That would be my hope. And that would be my hope for this week that we would just pray, Lord, is that life-changing experience with you coloring every area of my life? Whether I'm single, whether I'm married, whether I'm engaged, whatever. Lord, help me to do that more. Help me to have that influence my life more and more. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, We are grateful for what you have done for us, what you continue to do for us. Lord, we don't want our experience of you to be an isolated event that happened one time, one place, somewhere, and now makes no difference in the rest of our life, in the way that we see the world, in the way that we see our stuff, in the way that we see our circumstances, in the way that we see relationships. Lord, we want it to color everything. Would you help us, Lord? Would you help us to do that? Would you help us to see the world rightly, see our relationships in light of your love, in light of your kingdom? And Lord, would you help us to see ourselves as your ambassadors, everywhere we go, every day. In Jesus' name.